Hi, folks. We have a very special podcast for you today. We have some members of our online white-collar support group that meets on Zoom on Monday evenings, 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. We have held over 200 weekly online meetings, and they just keep getting better as we welcome newcomers out of isolation and into community, a community that truly cares about and supports one another. Today's group is a little different than most because everyone involved has agreed to share their names, faces, and very personal stories, all to reach out to families suffering in silence with white-collar justice issues. We've never attempted anything like this before, but we all feel that the cause is so important that it is worth the risk. I know you'll quickly learn to love and respect each and every member you meet tonight, just as I do. So let's get started. Hello. And welcome to White Collar Week, a podcast sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries, the world's first ministry serving the white collar justice community. I'm Jeff Grant, co-founder and your host. I served almost 14 months in a federal prison for a white collar crime I committed when I was a lawyer. So I know that it's the isolation that kills us and the solution is in community. So let's get started. Welcome to Support Group's special meeting for White Collar Week. Um, This is uh, the first time we've ever done this, so we're going to give it a shot. We actually have 16 of us on tonight. I'm a little surprised by that and uh, delighted by that. So um, as always, we're going to start the meeting by um, putting the agenda in the chat box, which is in front of you right now. And... Let's go to a second item, the uh, a prayer. Joshua, will you please lead us in prayer? Evening, everyone. My name is Joshua. I'm calling in from Virginia and uh, opening up with prayer. Dear Lord, dear Heavenly Father, please watch over us this evening. Help us to come together in union with you. Help us to find camaraderie, friendship, fellowship, and love for one another. As we try, face the trials before us in life, celebrate the joys and freedoms that you bestowed upon us. Help us to become closer to you and to each other, Lord. And we pray the serenity prayer. God, God grant me the serenity, serenity to accept the things, things I, can cannot, things I change. cannot change, the courage to change the, the things, things, I I change. things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Know the difference. I will you. not mind be done. Thank you. Thank you, Joshua. For those of you um, who are listening to us on audio, there are 16 of us on tonight from all across the country and two of us from Canada. So this is an international meeting tonight. Uh, Very psyched for that. Um, Our topic tonight is gratitude. And um, it's something that we try to uh, show one another every week. Um, It's certainly an overarching theme of our meeting and our ministry. And uh, we've asked Craig from New York um, who's a gifted speaker and who has a, a TED Talk out um, later. It'll be in the show notes after. So we're going to ask Craig to lead for 10 minutes on gratitude, and then uh, we'll go around the room and everyone can share. And uh, I suspect he'll give us some uh, ideas about what he's grateful for as well. So Greg, Craig, take it away. Jeff, thank you so much. So as Jeff said, I am Craig from Brooklyn, New York. And my path to gratitude was... An interesting one. It started, I would say, in 2012, when by most standard metrics, I had what everybody would consider was it all. I owned multiple homes. I had beautiful cars, beautiful watches. I was married to an absolutely incredible, amazing, beautiful woman. And I felt 
not worthy and not enough for any of it. And it was just this all-consuming emptiness. And I tried to fill that emptiness by buying things and my ability to buy those things. And my identity had become so inextricably tied to my things that I would do anything, absolutely anything, to preserve that. And that led me to make the worst choice that I've made in my life. I had discovered, for lack of a better term, I'll call it a loophole, in one of the largest technology companies' warranty policy. And I exploited that loophole for my financial gain. I knew what I was doing was wrong. My, my fraud was the, the culmination of many choices. And really, one of the final choices was the choice to click the mouse button and to hit the enter button. And the second that I did that, I knew that I was doing something wrong. My heart told me not to do it, and I ignored it. And it required choice after choice. This fraud went on for just under a year. It was about 10 months. And the amount of times that I clicked that mouse button, that I hit the enter button to perpetuate the fraud, I can't even count how many times. And every single time, my heart told me not to. It all came to a screeching halt on October 1st, 2013. That is when I was arrested by the FBI. I was charged with one count of mail fraud, and I pled guilty because I was. And I was sentenced to 24 months of federal prison. I lost everything, the homes, the cars, the watches. I was about four months into my sentence. It was December 22nd. It was three days before Christmas when my wife came to visit me and you know, I knew, I knew there was something going on and I, I prodded and prodded until she, she said, I'm leaving you. Things were already bad enough, but that was really the final nail in the, in the coffin, if you will. Suicide became a viable option. I, having lost everything, having lost her, the, the pain that I had caused to those that I loved to myself ignoring that voice that told me not to do it over and over again, that voice disappeared. And without that voice, it was, it was just a hollowness mm. that is so hard to describe, but it consumed me and it ate me up inside. I started, I started planning how I was going to end my life. And I was really lucky and fortunate that my best friend of 30 years he, he happened to email me on a Wednesday afternoon and just said, hey, man, can I come for a visit this weekend? I wasn't expecting it. It was out of the blue. I said, yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course I, I want to visit because as the people on this call know, you can't mention suicide in prison. You get locked in solitary. And I was scared of that. I was, I was so frightened of that. I couldn't mention it on the phone or over email didn't want to tell any of my friends inside because out of concern of them telling one of the guards. So I just bottled it all up, knowing that my friend was going to come, knowing that this guy that I trust with my life was coming. I could share the story with him. And we sit down, we sit down to talk and I can't wait to tell him everything just to get it off my chest. And before I can say a word, he starts to speak and he, his life is a mess and he just unloads on me. And I realized that he came to see his friend, that, that I had value, that I had worth outside of everything that I always thought that made me worthy. 
And, and that's what started me on my new path. That is what started and led me, if you will, to gratitude. I started reading and consuming as much self-help as I could, and I read about the practice of gratitude and how it's, how it's this amazing, magical thing that everybody should do, and it really will change your life. Well, I have to be honest, in the beginning, you know, I had turned my life at that point, but I still had no job. I still had no money. I still had no wife. I'm still in prison. It doesn't feel like there's a whole lot to be grateful for. And it was one morning. I had the same routine every morning. I got up at 5.45, did what I had to do. I grabbed my, my pre-made coffee, you know, the, you know, the powdered coffee and the powdered cream. You know, I grabbed that, I added the hot water, I had, my, I had some books, I had my journals, and I head to the library. And the library was in a separate building. So I, I walk out the one building. At this point, it's, you know, maybe just a few minutes past 6 a.m. And Otisville is where I was sentenced to. Otisville is on the top of a mountain. And I got to say, it has the most beautiful sunrises and sunsets I have ever seen. And I walk out. And I look up, and the sky is just on fire. It's reflecting these reds, oranges, and yellows, and pinks all across the sky, all across the forest. The forest is ablaze in color. And I just stop, and I take it in. And there's nobody around. And I, I exhale, and I can see my breath, and I didn't realize it was that, that cold out. And I just stood there for a while, and was really in awe. And the medium security facility is off in the distance. And I'd always had an ominous feeling to it, but today it didn't matter because I was absorbed in this sunrise and it was just so gorgeous. So I enjoyed that for a while and I go to the library and I open up my journal and the, the words poured out of me completely and utterly naturally. They were intrinsic and they just flowed. And I wrote, I am grateful for this morning's sunrise. Mm. I am grateful that I am alive to see it. I am grateful that my powdered coffee and cream tastes particularly good this morning because that's not always the easiest blend to get right. I'm grateful for, we had at Otisville, we had a, we had a goose with a bro broken wing. Um, somebody nicknamed him Beers was his name. And I worked in the kitchen, so I had access to food. And I would feed Beers regularly. And he would, he would run when he saw me. And I don't know if a goose can smile, but I swear he smiled when he saw me. I swear he did. He made these noises and I would feed him. He'd eat out of my hand. And I wrote, I'm grateful for Beers. I'm grateful for that, that he has a home here and that we look out for him and that he is protected. That started my gratitude practice six years ago. Mm -hmm. And I am not exaggerating when I say that I have not missed a day in six years. And I can't express enough how important the practice has been for rebuilding and reinventing my life. Gratitude it rewired my brain from a, a sense of scarcity into one of abundance. And it actually allows, when, when I live in a state of abundance, it allows me to make better decisions. I'm no longer making scarcity-based decisions or fear-based decisions. And there are times, you know, I'll, I'll admit, especially in prison, it, the, the practice would get 
And I, I said one of the key words, it's a practice. Not it's not gratitude perfection, it's a gratitude practice. And it would be very, it got rote sometimes. It's how many times can I be grateful for my family, which I was very grateful for them, but how many times can I say that? How many times can I say that I'm grateful for the sunset? And I started getting very creative with it. Why am I grateful for these things? What else can I be grateful for? And it just really expanded my mind in such a way that, you know, to be redundant, maybe silly, I'm grateful for my gratitude practice. And one of the things that when I was in prison and to this day that I am grateful for is Jeff and this meeting and this group, because we all know, and I, I'm sorry I'm saying we, but I think we, I, I think we can all say the same thing. The isolation is so horrible and it just induces shame and having this group and having the ability to communicate in the way that we do and the openness that we do and the vulnerability that we do. I can't express how grateful I am for that every week. And, you know, I'm, I know that I'm slightly newer to the call only because I normally work on Mondays. And I'm so grateful that, quite frankly, where my place of work is, is closed right now and that I can join these calls because I realize how wonderful they truly are. And that is my, that's my experience with gratitude. And, you know, if anybody has any questions on it for me or anything about it, um, I would love to know. Uh, thank you for the time. Craig, that was beautiful. Thank you. Um, of, of course, everyone on the call knows, but uh, I'll let the audience know that um, you were one of the first people I worked with. Um, and you actually came to my house and uh, you were a wreck, man. You were oh, such you, a wreck. You, such a wreck. You, you were this like nervous guy. You were a wreck. And we used to walk, do laps around my backyard um, just talking. And um, to see you now as uh, self-possessed and poised and um, reflective, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, um, you know, it's a blessing to have you in my life and certainly a blessing to have you as a member of the group. Um, and thank you for that. I think it was a great Thank lesson. you. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, we're going to go around and let everybody share, um, ask questions, anything you want. This is a, this is a normal meeting, hopefully. So uh, why, don't we, uh, why don't we start with Jackie? Because uh, I like to start with Jackie. Because you always have to put me on the spot. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jackie from Connecticut. Um, it's funny because I didn't even know there was a practice of gratitude until about a month ago when Craig and I spoke privately. And I... First, I'll let, I'll let you know who doesn't know me. I think there's just a few people who don't know me. Um, I made some really poor choices back in 2008 when I had my own business and um, in mortgages. And I was a paralegal. I had a partner and that was an attorney. And I took a mortgage out of my house and didn't disclose the first mortgage. So it's funny because at the time in 2008, um, if anybody has seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I love the statement. He says, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you're going to miss it. And that was me back in 2008. It was moving very fast. I had my whole family working for me. I was just moving fast, 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 and I was missing it all. And um, where Craig said he knew 
that he was making these decisions and these were bad decisions. And I didn't, I just did it. I just kept moving along, not even thinking until the FBI knocked on my door. And I pled guilty immediately because like Craig said, I was guilty. And I spent seven months in Danbury Federal Prison for women. And I learned a lot about myself in those seven months and what I wanted to be and do and what I didn't want. I think that was the most important thing for me. It's not that I learned what I did want. I learned what I didn't want in my life. And what I didn't want was that sick feeling that I had constantly, um, just constantly trying to prove myself to people, never saying no to people. I just didn't want that in my life anymore. I wanted peace. And I was actually grateful and I had gratitude for being in Danbury because if I did not, get, I don't know where I would be today if I did not get um, caught up by the FBI. So for me, I am grateful to them. I hear a lot of people, a lot of women that I speak to that are not happy with the government and they have a lot to say. I actually am quite the opposite. I'm grateful for them because I, I really don't know where I would be emotionally, physically, with my family. I don't know. I came home and I decided to, I founded Evolution Family Reentry and I decided to give back. And I'm a social worker. I, my master's is in social work. And I went back to my roots where I've always wanted to be. I got caught up in the financial aspect of having to live this lifestyle. I went back to my, my roots and I now help women who are going into prison coming home from prison, and I am grateful every day for this group, for these people. I am tremendously grateful, Craig, that I met you. You, I learned more from Craig in two weeks than I had in any psychologist <laughs> that I've been going to in 10 years. Um, we had some wonderful talks, and I started to really think about this gratitude thing and, and started a journal on gratitude. So in my journal, I try and I'm finding gratitude in the challenges that I face every day. I'm back in school and I'm getting my master's in criminal justice and I'm moving on to my doctorate and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I'm able to be, to study. Um, I'm grateful that I can volunteer and help the women that I help. I, I feel that I'm really making a difference in the criminal justice world and it's not for money. It's because I love it and I have a passion to, for it. Um, and I, I'm grateful that I can express myself. I, I do that quite often. <laughs> you guys know. Um, I try and spend as much time with my loved ones. I am. I have to say, for Jeffrey Abramowitz and Jay and Joshua and, and Jeff, you guys were my lifeline when I came home. Mm -hmm. And I could not have done it without you. And Steve, my God, um, <laughs> you guys have just been my lifeline. So I'm very grateful for this group and for what you've given me and not allowed me to be isolated. Because when I came home, I was, I, I wouldn't even leave my house. So, mm. so thank you all. I mean, just moving forward. Thank, thank you, Jackie. So um, if anyone listening hears us laughing, it's because we all know each other pretty well. <laughs> and that Laughter is the language of recovery. So uh, 
we're, we're laughing because we identify with each other's stories, not because we're making fun of each other, that's for mm -hmm. sure. So um, if each of you could uh, just remember, say um, where you're located, and then definitely give a snippet of your story so we can just let our listeners know uh, um, where we're coming from. Uh, Jeffrey A., Jeffrey Bromwitz, why don't you go next, please? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on the OGs first, by the way, everybody, so just so you know. Thanks, Jeff. So thanks, and it's great to see everybody. I, um, Jeff, um, Jeff Abramowitz, I'm from the state of reentry. It's a new state. It's uh, just brand new. We just started it, and we're all part of it. Uh, it runs through our country and through the world, and it's for men and women that have made choices in their life that they are, um, they are now living, um, moving forward, and I'm grateful to be here. I, I'm glad the topic is gratitude. And, and, Je and Craig, I will tell you quite candidly that I think if you take your story and you just tweak the facts a bit, that um, it pretty much is my, my life story. Mm. Um, I was a lawyer for 20 years in Philadelphia, a successful trial lawyer, and um, made some really horrible choices, caught a federal indictment. And, um, you know, I always say that the two most important days of your life are the day you're born. And a lot of people say the day you die. And for me, uh, the second most important day is the day you figure out why you're born. And I could tell you it was when the judge's gavel struck wood and I was escorted out of the courtroom into a, into a prison. So, um, yeah, I, I was um, sentenced to five years in prison in a federal penitentiary. And I will tell you quite candidly that part of my gratitude is the sentence that I got because I'm not sure that I fully would have understood how I needed to um, find myself and change my life and appreciate those things that I had taken for granted for so long um, without going away and experiencing what I experienced. And, and quite honestly, I got more out of prison than I think any human being could possibly get um, from teaching classes and everything I could to reading books to working with the, the men and women that the men and women that I, I encountered along the journey. Um, so I, I'm grateful every day and thankful. I always say that I, I wear a new pair of glasses today, glasses that I never wore before. And that's my gratitude is that I see the world differently. I see it differently because I appreciate things differently. Um, uh, just a, a quick note, I, I remember that I had a hard time when I was in prison dealing with time. And um, I see things like Q-tips differently than most people do. And that's because when I got to um, USP Canaan, I, I bought five years worth of Q-tips and um, I couldn't deal with a calendar and time. So it was a Q-tip a day. And when I ran out of Q-tips, I knew I was going home. Um, so it was the little things that I did to cope. But more importantly, when I got out, um, the fact that I just appreciated the, the ability to um, eat what I want and, and to, to be free and to make those choices and to see things that most people wouldn't really see, um, seeing ramen noodles differently and um, appreciating a pillow and underwear that fits and um, you know, not eating tuna fish out of a bag and you know, not having to pay things for things in mackerel or whatever you, the currency might be. Um, so that being said, I, I found my way and I found my purpose in life and my passion. And in large part, one of the first people that I found was, was Jeff Grant and this group uh, very early on and, and Steve and Jeff and everybody that's been part of this has really been a big part of my life. But it's not just on the call and it's not just Monday nights. It's the, 
the late night Sunday night call when I'm afraid that a PO is going to violate me or um, it's all those other times when we get together and we talk and go into Jackie's Christmas parties and and uh, talking to Steve and Jay and uh, whoever may need help. It's um, it's this camaraderie and this bond that we have that can't be nece- can't be really explained. Um, it's it's just felt, and I appreciate everybody on the call, and especially uh, uh, especially you know Jeff has been a mentor and a, and a really good friend to me, and I appreciate everybody. So yes, I'm grateful for everyone on this call. I'm grateful for the creation of the state of reentry, and um, I'm I'm grateful to um to see this podcast go forward. So thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. I I, I would say that that share was worth two max for sure. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> if if you want to know what a Mac is, folks, email me and I'll tell you all about it. Um, let's see. Uh, as long as we're on former lawyers, how about Jay? You got to unmute yourself. Thanks, Jeff. I knew I was next. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fit. I because I. Um, I only know two Jeffs and Jackie and me, Jay. I'm Jay from Pennsylvania, um, one of the early uh, members of that of the Monday night group. Um, I uh, was also a lawyer in the Philadelphia area for over 30 years. And um, around the turn of the century, the new millennium, I uh, started... Um, doing things that I shouldn't have done in my practice. I, 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 and I knew I was what I was doing and it was, it was not an accident. And like those before me who spoke, I, I pled guilty and I, and I, and I got hit pretty hard in 2008 with, uh, over six years, um, spent most of it at, uh, Fort Dix and Lewisburg, but I, got into RDAP, and between that and the good time, I cut it down to about four and a half. Um, I got home, and I had lost uh, my wife of 28 years and one of my children to certainly friends and reputation, but it was time to start over. I was already over 60. Um, and when I first came on this group, I, I was a mess, and I think that uh, – the three people on here who were who knew me at the time, or actually two, I mean, could um, attest to that. But I did speak to Jeff Grant, and I was grateful to find uh, people who didn't um, judge me, didn't you know, have a stigma, and uh, I was even grateful to become friendly with uh, Jackie, my favorite Dallas Cowboys fan in the country, the only one I really know or speak to. And um, things have, I've been, I got back in uh, at the end of uh, 12. So I've, I've been home seven and a half years and it, it's been, it's been a grind and I have to work at gratitude because I, I, um, I often dwell on, on things I lost a marriage, a friend, a child, um, a reputation, my law license, which by the way, after 10 years, I'm trying to uh, get back again. And uh, in fact, we would have had a hearing by now, but it was 
dead smack in the middle of April when everything was shutting down. Now it's going to be in August or September. And it's been a grind, so I have to work on 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 uh, these things. I, I had a job and in, when I got out, and instead of being happy that I had a job, I was stuck on the job that I had, which was delivering truck parts. And everyone told me to be grateful that I had a job, and I had to work on things like that, and I still do. But... You know, I had two parents that lived into their 90s, and they, they were in their mid-80s when I left, so they were still here when I got back. That was really something to be grateful for, and I only lost them within the last two or three years at 94 and 95, and I'll always be grateful for how long I had them. And uh, I'm making some new friends and still keeping some old ones, and my other two children were right there for me on Father's Day two days ago, and I'm working in a law firm now after six years of trying. And so, if nothing else, I'm persistent. And maybe as I um, continue to find myself and continue to have things improve, I can maybe uh, start feeling some gratitude without having to try so hard to avoid looking at, at the, the downsides. And this group has been amazing. And other groups in the Philly area like it, where, where, where I'm welcome. And it makes a huge, huge difference. I'm grateful for those people. I've found other people in the area who had trouble. I've worked in, in a foundation helping people who, um, uh, who were facing those same challenges, and that work has been gratifying. In fact, it was someone I was working with who was also a former lawyer who knew somebody in the law firm that hired me. So it's funny how those things work out. And, um, but uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and still kicking, you know, I gotta tell you. And, I, and Jeff, Jeff Grant, I, I thank you. You've been there really right since I got back. And uh, Jackie and Jeff and the others tonight, and you, and and the 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 group does go beyond here. We we we've had uh, dinners and uh, Christmas events, and it and it really is. I, I know that I can pick up a phone and call someone in this group any time. Yeah. And uh, so that that's kind of a, an overview of me. Yeah, and, and we have a picture of a bunch of us in front of the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, right? That's so right. That's right. Yeah. The, the, uh, and Jeff and I were the only two that didn't have to really travel to get there. That was a beautiful night. It really was. It was. <laughs> Steve, um, staying with the OGs, there's Steve. Well, um, I'm Steve from California. Grateful to be here. Gratitude is what I swim and live in. Um, very, very grateful for every single day I get to be alive. My story is a little bit, I guess, unique in that I always say I'm the dumb one on the group. I uh, was caught in a uh, an FBI sting. I didn't even know I'd done anything wrong until, until, until two years later when they called me and told me they were going to indict me for what they said I did. And I, I look, I, I did what they said, so I'm certainly, certainly not uh, – um, uh, 
innocent. I'm guilty of what they said. I was enamored with micro lending and I, you know, I was, I was becoming something of a personality in micro lending in the United States. And uh, let's just say the United States government did not take a, did not take that <laughs> they decided that they didn't like that idea. But uh, my prosecutor, what he said about me was, uh, I exercised poor judgment. I was convicted of a crime that has uh, no victims, no losses, and no, no specific intent to do harm. And yes, there are those kind of statutes on the, on the books in the United States. Um, I spent 17 months of my life in a federal uh, prison camp. It was very, very difficult. Um, many people enjoyed the time. I could, I guess, almost say that, but for me, it was very difficult. Um, it was extremely challenging where I was. I'll not say anything more about that. But what happened is I, I grew gratitude in my life. I've always been a grateful person, but uh, being separated from my family and being immersed in such in enormous levels of shame and disappointment that uh, I, I wrecked into my own life, um, and knowing that I was the one that that caused the you know the bilge. And that I didn't have a pump to be able to clean it out was so difficult. Um, I'm a writer first and foremost. I write and um, I've written five novels um, and a prequel. I've written two courses on human improvement. And the first one is now coming online. And one of these days, perhaps, Jeff, yeah, thank you, Jeff. One of these days, perhaps, we'll start to push into some of those topics here I'm foremost a writer, but I'm, I would consider my DNA to be a healer. I've spent the majority of my life helping broken human beings. Um, and so I'm just grateful that I found Jeff and uh, maybe he found me. And we, we, there's kind of a discussion between us about who found who he says he, I don't know. But at any rate, somehow I wound up here. And I will tell you, when I started this group, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I was beyond a wreck. I was completely undone. I could not find my way. I, I had been literally cast out by almost every religious group. I've spent most of my life in, in service to New Testament churches and I cast out by virtually every single one of them. And uh, it, that I think was the greatest pain and apparel that I did not expect. I'm not a victim, I'm not, I'm not a pallid person, so I'm just letting you know it was extremely difficult for me as a human being and as a spiritual person. But when I found Jeff and Jackie and Jeff and uh, Father Joe and the others, they welcomed me, they embraced me, uh, they, they gave me language, folks. They gave me the language that I was searching for. I did not know how to say these words. I wrote in one of my novels that it was like the pain was like these um, barbs that were, you know, tied up in, in the middle of my intestines and I, I could not bilge them. And then when I came to this group, I found language and now I have written that language. And now that hopefully one of these days, uh, Jeff and the rest of you, we can teach that language of comfort and repair and thoughtful uh, movement and then, of course, gratitude, Craig. Love your your piece. You just did such a wonderful job, young man. Uh, and hopefully, we can begin to teach men and women uh, about the, the the language of suffering and about how to work from it. Again, not from a pallid place, 
but from a place of power and empowerment. And uh, the final thing I will say is uh, one of the conversations Jeff Grant and I, by the way, parenthetically, I love Jeff Grant unequivocally. I'll, I'll cross oceans for that dude, okay? I'll take bullets for that dude, period. I'll close that quote. But uh, one of the conversations Jeff and I have always is that um, the business of this group is, to me, it it is about more than recovery. Uh, Jeff, and I love you and the work you do, my brother, in uh, Pennsylvania. I, I just admire you so much. The work of this group is to rescue those human beings who have been snatched and ensnared by things either of their doing or their undoing. And it is my mission in life now to be able to do that. I'll close now with these, these thoughts. And thank you, Jeff, uh, for letting me have a moment. I don't say much, as you know, on these calls anymore. I listen and I pray for each of you as you speak. If you're wondering what I'm doing, I'm praying for you that God will send comfort and ease and strength and courage to you. But um, just in the last six months, through the grace and mercy and unlooked for and unexpected, uh, you know, divine motion of God, a ministry asked me back into their fold. And once again, I get to serve broken human beings and I get to do it as a profession. Greatest days of my life are here. So if you ever need me, I'm here. I will listen. I'll do anything I can for anyone on this call. And um, that's enough. Blessings to each and every one of you. And I always end all of my my pieces by saying my salutation is travel far. Thank you, Steve. That was beautiful. I, I think everybody can tell that you used to be a preacher. You did a great job. Um, why don't we jump around a little bit, Bill? I, I see you're uh, you're back on. You have uh, you're newly back from prison because of uh, COVID nineteen. So uh, why don't you yes. talk a little bit about that, friend? Um. See, I met you, Jeff, back in 2013, um, but the road that got me there probably started 2006, 2007. Like Jackie, I was pretty self-absorbed, making a lot of decisions, worried, you know, I was making good money and making some bad decisions and ended up uh, catching a, a wire fraud case. Um, in 2013 and started down the road um, and what I what I found was that and it, and it took me a while to see it but that every so often along the way of the last um, 14 years there's been things that have happened that were blessings that unfortunately for a long time I was too busy to see. And it wasn't until I recognized that there was just a number of things in this life that I'm not going to be able to control and that I needed to stop worrying about them, that once I started doing that, 
I was able to see that there were things that would come across my path that might not have happened otherwise. And over time, I learned to be grateful for those things. Um, the first thing was that, well, the one big, big thing was that when I was sentenced, um, the judge gave my co-defendant or my wife and I staggered sentences. Now, that was actually Jeff's idea. I would not have thought of it, but thank God he did that. I, I just don't know what would have happened um, to my children and family had that not occurred. And that, that started me, you know, on the path of looking for things that you would call unexpected blessings and things to be grateful for. Um, before I reported, about two months before I reported, um, my son and his wife and my grandson said, hey, let's, let's, go, to the, let's go to the zoo. And I said, oh, that, that would be nice. The Tulsa has a nice zoo, and, and it'll be good to go, and it was a nice spring day. And, and um, my other son, um, who I live with here, um, he and his older brother had been estranged for a number of years. But because I was going to prison, he, under normal circumstances, he probably would not have joined us. But he came, and that started their process of reconciliation. And again, I don't, that would not have happened if, I don't think that would have happened if I wasn't going to prison. Hmm. Um, so since then, um, I've just tried my best to focus on those unexpected blessings. Uh, and they're all around. You just have to look for them. Um, it's just like Craig said, um, uh, you know, with the coffee or, it, it, and, uh, or the friends that you, the, the, the friends that you made while you were away. Um, you know, I became grateful that I could work out with some of these guys, um, that, um, because there was nothing else I could control. So why don't I focus on the things that were good? And the more I started to do that, um, the easier things became. And there were just a multitude of those things while I was away. And now that I'm home, um, you know, I see that one, the event that I thought was going to be the worst thing in the world didn't turn out so bad after all. Um, and that I have so much to be grateful for every day. Um, and, and, you know, watching the kids grow up and, and, you know, watching them do their teenage things and with my grandson and soon to be granddaughter and my family is still there, even though they're in Pennsylvania, you know, they're there to support me. So it, it's, um, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. And now I have an opportunity to reach out to others 
to let them know about this group and let them know that they don't have to be afraid. Um, they don't have to suffer in silence and that there's a community of people um, that'll accept them and will help them move forward. Thank you, Bill. You're um, welcome. It's, it's wonderful to have your home. Um, so you're, you're one of the uh, class of people. We've been around long enough now that we have relationships with people before they go away, while they're away, and when they come back. And uh, so it, it's, it's, it's been beautiful watching your arc and watching you, uh, you grow. So thank you. All right, Keith, you're, you're on. <laughs> this is liftoff for you, Keith. Hi, everybody. This is Keith from New York. I think I'm the only person on the call that is preparing to go in. I think everyone else has already uh, been in and out. So I guess I, I'm the unique person on the call. And it's hard to think that you have things to be grateful for when you're waiting to go into prison as opposed to when you've gotten out and you realize that it wasn't so bad <laughs> and you learned a lot about yourself. But <clears throat> this has been very interesting for me because uh, as Jackie said, you know, there, how, how could you be grateful to, to the FBI for arresting you? And I'm still unhappy about some of the things that they did and some of the tactics they used. But at the end of the day, I did something wrong and I deserve to pay for it. Um, we can quibble about, you know, the, the sentence, the length of sentence, but the bottom line is it changed my life. And I think my life is going to continue to improve, uh, as we go along. I, I was running like 150 miles an hour nonstop. Just, you know, you, you just, nothing's going to stop you when you're in that state, unless you crash. And it's really unfortunate that you have to crash. But if you crash and don't die, it's not so bad. You really have the opportunity to uh, move forward in your life. Uh, I was ignoring all the blessings. I mean, I, I had so much. And I sabotaged everything. Not just this time, but my, my whole adult life. And somehow I justified it every single time. I got in and out of trouble. And somehow it just further empowered me to do more. And, uh, you know, I needed to understand why, you know, I, I have all the reasons I lost my father when I was 15, lost my best friend at 19. Uh, I, I have all the excuses of why one does things that I did. But at the end of the day, it's a very selfish existence. It's not, you know, it's just not a good way to live. I hurt my wife. I hurt my children. I hurt my family. You know, there's, there's still shame. There's still, you know, discomfort. But the beauty is, is that I, I really get to change my life. Too many people don't have that opportunity. They go through their life and they do a lot of things. They don't get caught. And, but they don't get the blessing of, of being able to stop, take a breath and say, you know, this happened for a reason. And uh, Jeff, you said to me that God put you someplace different for a reason. You know, he stopped something for a reason. And I believe that. I, I really believe that with, with a lot of pain that I've had in my life and 
you know, it's like the, the woe is me and the why is me and, and all, all that stuff. But I am grateful. I'm, I'm actually grateful. I'm, I'm facing 32 months. I should have been in already for uh, about three months. Um, and I'll be okay. And, and I, I do, I get a lot of pleasure out of helping others. You know, it, it's so easy to be selfish when you're going through this and say, well, I can't help somebody else right now because I'm still in the midst of this hurricane. But I, I get such good feelings when I can reach out to somebody or let somebody reach out to me that is suffering, whether it's in the same position I'm in or even, you know, I speak to people that are still not okay after serving their time. They're, they're still not feeling good and they're not happy about where their life turned. And I, I see such possibilities. I, you know, for me, the glass is half full. It's not half empty. And I'm just so thankful for all the people that I've met in this group and will continue to meet. And one of my biggest disappointments when I go away, besides missing my family, is going to be missing this group. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's going to be hard for me to not be able to. I, and Jeff knows I, I haven't missed. Uh, I even came on for five minutes. So I wouldn't break my record three weeks ago. But I, I haven't missed a meeting in, I think it's about 58 weeks. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I thank everybody. Uh, I'm, I'm here. Uh, I am grateful. I'm grateful for my family, my, you know, uh, my friends, and, and certainly this group. So thank you. Thanks, Keith. Um, and um, just a couple of things I want to pa point out. That one of the most beautiful and poignant days of my life is when uh, a few of us came down to your sentencing, down to Manhattan, to Southern District. And um, you pointed out that you're the only one on the call who is um, waiting to go into prison. Well, that's because... Anyone who's awaiting sentencing, we would not allow to come on this uh, on this uh, uh, podcast tonight. Um, we didn't want them to say anything that might influence their sentencing, um, and so we're, we're protecting them. But both people who came down uh, in the car with me, uh, both of them were awaiting sentencing, and uh, one of them is in jail right now, and um, the other one should be sentenced as soon as. COVID kind of allows it, and it was a, a wake-up call for them to see what it was really about. We were uh, really, um, it was a beautiful moment for us to be there with you and your family and to uh, share the love and let you know that that you cared about. So, um, um, you know, thank you for, uh, for inviting us and for having us there that day. I was grateful to have you there. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. All right, let's go north of the border. Let's start with Joseph, who's in Toronto. So this is truly an international meeting, and Joseph, you have quite a story. Thank you. Uh, yes, I am just north of Toronto, so I'm north-north, uh, just to give perspective. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm the first Canadian to receive a federal sentence of imprisonment for insider trading, and I think I'm still the only one. Last I checked on Wikipedia, I'm still the only one. Uh, that resulted uh, after I did the activity for about 15 years uh, with, with a co-accused, and I did it in Canada and the United States, uh, trading thousands of trades, churning hundreds of millions of dollars, making you know, large amounts of money that eventually end to, ended up getting caught and uh, losing everything, and including the uh, suicide of my co-accused who committed suicide the day we were to fly to New York to plead guilty. Mm. Um, you know, I'm very grateful to be on this call because I've taken something. It's almost as all these stories I heard, 
I've taken some personal element from everyone where I say, I can relate to that. Or I understand that. Even Craig's initial story about mentioning the bird in prison, I had my own bird in prison, a pigeon. His name was Shackles because we'd, we'd uh, caught him. He had a fishing line on his uh, leg and we took the fishing line off and then he started limping all the time so as if he had shackles on. So he became for our range uh, during the yard time in, in a maximum security prison. We'd always look for this pigeon, bring him food. And so that was a good memory because I remembered the camaraderie I had with the guys in prison and looking forward to going to the yard to see if shackles was there, we could feed them. And so little, little stories like that. And then within prison, what I'm grateful for is I had an incident in a, another maximum security prison called Kingston Penitentiary. And from my perspective, I viewed it as a divine intervention of some sorts. And when that happened at my lowest point, I had just made a promise that if I could get out of this terrible situation I was in, um, I would try to take some good from the bad that I had experienced with, with you know, the prison and everything else associated with and my co-accused. So when I got out of prison, I still had this promise to keep. And I had discovered that there was a film producer in Ottawa, Canada, who was looking to do a documentary, an educational documentary on uh, white collar crime prevention by focusing on the unintended victims of white collar perpetrators, specifically their family and friends. That's something that no one really looks at because I think everyone here knows that when they went to prison or did something like that, they, they affected everyone around them. The people they loved the most were people who they unintentionally hurt the most because you know perhaps the shame the loss of them from their lives and other impacts may perhaps more direct than that so i did that documentary and, and grateful for that because that allowed me to speak to different student groups and other other uh, organizations around the world and that eventually led to uh, someone in, in in toronto canada uh, wanting to start a charity called restorative justice housing ontario and they had heard about me and they invited me in and what the charity does it finds uh, homes safe homes for elderly ex-prisoners who by virtue of being away from society for so long, losing contact to family and, and finances, have no safe place to live when they get out of prison. So what we do is we, we find how homes or uh, apartments and we pay market rent for them and we then sublet them to ex-offenders, that's what we call prisoners, ex-prisoners, ex-offenders, at, at whatever they can pay and the charity subsidizes the rest. And I'm grateful because I've actually seen the impact I've made on people's lives. Like people have cried that, that, you know, older, older guys inside 40 years has a place. He was living in just a dump, very dangerous and being abused by people around him because it was, it was so run down. And then he gets, comes to the, our, one of our residents and he starts crying saying, I finally found a place where I'm happy that I know I'll die in somewhere nice. And like, that's, you know, that's the negative way to look at it, but he was, it was tears of joy. So I felt that, you know, that what happened to the terrible things that happened to me led me to that one moment in time that I never would have had that experience, but for having gone away as I did. So, that's something I look forward to every day. I, um, it's almost a service that I, that I see that I'm almost uniquely situated because of my background, I was a lawyer, so I can deal with property managers and, and landlords, but also I've done time in maximum security prison, so I can always relate to the guys on a level that they understand. So they know I know what they've been through. And it, it puts me in a unique position. This is perhaps you know one of the few jobs where I'm uniquely qualified for it. Uh, and I view that as a blessing. And, uh, and the fact that I try to take something positive from what was what negative, I could have, I, you know, at one point in time, I want to just put it all behind me, start all over again, and just not mention it. But this has given me a chance to say, you know, I can still do that, but I, uh, this gave me a chance to say, I'm going to do something positive, and not for my own self, but for someone else. It's not not a financially lucrative position. It's just it's a service uh, of, of a way that maybe perhaps I'm only in my area can, can do. And it, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. I'm very much grateful for hearing the stories. I'm looking forward to the other ones after after I speak, because I've taken something from every one of them, and I'm, I really appreciate you inviting me to the tonight, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Um, uh, while we're staying north of the border, why don't we go to Debbie? 
um, in Calgary. And um, one of the reasons I'm, I'm really happy you're here tonight, Debbie, is because you're someone who isn't caught up in the system. And so um, I want to let people know that we are um, that we're open to um, people in all parts of their journey. So maybe you can share a little bit about that. Okay. Um, first, I want to say this is probably the second most scary thing that I've had to do because of my story. Unlike everybody else on the call, I was in the position of being able to negotiate my way out of the situation after I defrauded my employer. I was a prof professional accountant, a very good one, very well-paid one, and fortunate that as a result of what, I can't remember who mentioned it, of my children, I would have done anything to make sure that I could be with them because I was single at the time. My ex was long out of, out of the picture. So my parents were able to help me out. My employer saw the benefit in not pursuing uh, a legal, legal grounds and there was re remediation and that type, type of stuff. But as a result, and this was 20 plus 20 years ago, as a result, I have been in my own personal self-imposed prison for 20 years because unlike the support that is available in this, in this group, I couldn't speak to anybody. There was nobody other than three people in my circle that had any any confidentiality. So I ran the risk anytime I opened my mouth of being found out and being sent to jail. So I did whatever I had to keep it quiet. And as a result, what it did is it, it shackled everything in my life and I sabotaged it. There's words that everybody has used. I sabotaged everything in my life continually for 20 years to make sure that I never got to a position where I had to explain how I got there. And then about a year and a half ago, I think it was, Jeff, I was listening to uh, Rich Roll's podcast and I heard Jeff. And I went, he is the person I need to be in the circle of because I can, maybe somebody understands how I feel. And you guys are it. And this is very emotional still. <laughs> mm. um, so I actually went back into, um, I went back into accounting. I took a break. I went to, to a travel industry and went back into accounting. I have no idea why I did that, but I was on a path of self-development and gratitude has always been in my vocabulary. So Looking back, and Jackie, you reminded me of this, and I've been doing a lot of journaling and so on on various various things, is that I'm very grateful to an organization I think you guys may be familiar with or not, called the John Howard Society. Mm -hmm. When I went back into the accounting field, I looked at my integrity and I looked at their integrity and went, if I can go back into that field and work with them, then they can't toss me out on my ass if they find out my story. And that, I am so grateful for them to have been able to, and that was the, sort of the start. I've always been following the criminal justice system 
and various different things. And that was the start because I could see things like what Jackie, what you're doing with um, reentry and so on, you know, with families and so on, because they had five different five different areas. So that's my story in a in a nutshell. Yeah, Debbie, it was it was so when you first contacted me, it was so beautiful because it's hard for people to reach out when they've been living with a secret for so long. And, um, and we all know on this call what it is to uh, lead double lives. And, to, um, and so we're really blessed. To, we're really blessed to have you. So th thank you very much. Um, thank you. Ja Janie, you live right near Canada. So we'll, we'll just stay geographically. Uh, um, Maine is pretty close. So Jamie, uh, um, you're on mute. So unmute yourself and um, please share. That'd be great. Here we go. Thanks. This is Jamie from Maine. Yep. And I am in the northeastern reaches of the country, but not quite in Canada. Uh, I, too, was a practicing attorney. And after about 25 years of practice, I had uh, a, an incredible lapse of judgment, and I took money out of a client trust account. And I knew the first time I did it that eventually it would be found out. I would be found out and everything would come crashing down. Um, I spent about a year and a half, two years trying to figure out how I would react when it fell apart. I had four children beginning to have grandchildren. Um, my wife and I had been married 30 years and I thought, well, I'll have no choice but to take my life. And I had an insurance policy and really for well over a year, I woke up every morning at two o'clock trying to think now, how, how will I do it? Accident has to look like an accident. I mean, I really spent hours and hours and hours watching my clock in the midnights um, contemplating this problem. I was, I had the good fortune that um, one of my children was visiting home the day that it finally broke. Mm -hmm. And for me, the greatest shame of all was when my wife found out what had been going on. Um, I had dreaded it and I had planned, I mean literally planned, how I was going to not be there when it happened. But I was driving in my car and got a telephone call from my daughter and my daughter said, Dad, the police are here and they're saying, so everything broke and thankfully one of the kids was there and that was for me, that was the worst. That was the day that um, having survived that day, I felt I could manage the rest. Um, it, none of it was easy and the family did fall apart. I've lost everything. My wife and I divorced five days short of our 30th anniversary. Um, and it was, <laughs> there was some financial planning involved in that, but that's what it came down to. I went into jail for 14 months. I just got out a month ago and I'm living in a tiny little apartment, not too far from where I was in jail. Um, the, the prison experience was not nearly as bad as I feared it would be. And I joined this group a few months before I went in. 
um, Bill and a few others like me were coming close to the time when we had to report to jail. Um, the group was incredibly useful, supportive to me, and gave me a place to talk about aspects of it that I couldn't discuss elsewhere. I went into prison kind of riding on a crest of love and goodwill and good wishes from this group um, and a few other steadfast friends who were there for me as I approached it and are still there for me. Um, I was in a prison, it sounds a little bit like, Craig, were you talking about the Mountain View? My, my prison was literally called Mountain View and <laughs> I, could see, I could see Mount Katahdin most days, which is the highest peak in Maine. And I enjoyed watching winter come on and see the snow line creep down the side of the mountain and springtime watching it go back up. Um, I served 14, about 14 months of a 30 month sentence. And I'm now on a home confinement, fairly short leash. Um, but Old Town's a nice town, it's north of Bangor. Um, I'm looking for work and I'm, I'm hoping to find something that uh, will use my skill set in some way. And I'm really grateful to have survived the discovery of my um, crime. I pled guilty. There was a, no question ever about anything else. But I have survived what I consider the worst day of my life and actually, I'm thriving. I feel so much lighter in my heart, not having to conceal that anymore. I feel gratitude for discovering what prison is really like, which really isn't so bad. Um, it was a lot like an adult daycare, frankly. It was as non-threatening as it could possibly have been. And there was a lot of gratitude for the comfort of being in prison and not having to hide what I had done or who I was or any of it. Um, coming out, I'm grateful every morning that I'm not there anymore. I'm still here. Um, I have this group, which I got back into <coughs> and continues to be ongoing blessing, support, and friendship. And... I am going to be getting a lot more into this group. So far, I've been attending these Monday meetings, um, but I'm going to start digging down a little deeper, drilling into some of the resources that are here for me and for everybody in the group. Jeff has done a pretty amazing thing putting this together. So there's a lot of gratitude on that point, too. Um, I made a few friends in prison. I was there with a lot of people that I had absolutely nothing in common with. And, and I turned 70 shortly after going into prison. I'm going to turn 72 tomorrow. Uh, happy so birthday, it, happy birthday, there, Jamie. Yeah. There were, there were a lot of people that were very unlike me. Let's mm -hmm. just put it that way. But over time, you begin to see that 
even those people are not all that different. And uh, one of them I gave some friendly time to, and in return, he gave me a little handful of Q-tips, which I hadn't seen. I hadn't seen a Q-tip for about 10 or 11 months, and it was awfully nice to clean my ears out. Very grateful for the Q-tips. Yep. I'm grateful now that I'm out of prison, that I'm living in a a really nice old town, an old part of Maine. Mm -hmm. I'm within walking distance of the amenities, and I'm within walking distance of the Penobscot River, and I can get a sandwich and go sit by the river in the evening and enjoy the water running by and the salmon swimming up. So I, I have a piece that I did not know for the last many years. Um, the disclosure hurt like hell, ripping off a Band-Aid. But once it was done, um, things started to get easier and easier, and they continue to. So that's my story of gratitude. I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad that I'm past that uh, disaster and that this group has been here throughout, before, during, and now after. And uh, thank you all. Bless you all. Um, you you have made a tremendous difference to me. Thank you, Jamie. That was beautiful. Joshua, we're going to jump to you because I know that you have uh, something else you have to get to. So, okay. Um, I appreciate that. Hey, everyone. I'm still Joshua and still from Virginia. Um, Gratitude is always a good topic, and, and I, I think it's always important to, for me to sort of pause and, and take reflection about what gratitude means to me. I appreciate a lot of what other people have shared tonight. I think that Craig is spot on. Uh, gratitude is a practice. It's, it's not a destination. It's not a presence of being. It, it's simply something that, that has been on a daily basis, and um, I think it was was it, was it Jay, I think, was saying earlier that it, it's something that he has to work on every single day. And I, I think that's absolutely true. I, my personal experience ultimately is, is like Jackie and Jay and Jamie and, and Craig and everyone else who's shared so far. Um, my ability to practice gratitude and, and remain grateful today is absolutely tied to my experience in prison. And it, I think other people have sort of alluded to it before that I, I had to be taken out of the equation that I thought I was so essential in to really appreciate what was valuable and important in my life. And once I was able to understand that, I was able to understand and really identify the things that I was doing, the, the parts of me that the parts of my character that were so dysfunctional, not just the ones that put me in a position where I made decisions that were hurtful and harmful, but the ones that just weren't who I wanted to be, you know, that allowed me to start to take a really close look at myself and understand who I was versus who I wanted to be and see the disparity between those two things and figure out, okay, how do I get from here to here? Um, and for better or for worse, I mean, it, it has been a long process of, of trying to understand what that reconciliation looks like, coming to terms with the mistakes that I made of the, in the past, um, and still being able to be grateful 
not live in fear, not live in doubt, not live in, in questioning whether or not I'm worthwhile or whether other people's judgments of me are the things that I need to incorporate into how I see myself. But understanding that there's a difference there too, because it took a while for me to recognize that I am not the sum result of the worst decisions that I've ever made. You know, the worst decisions that I've ever made can absolutely inform who I am today and guide my choices so that I do things differently, so that I try and contribute and be more productive, um, be more meaningful in other people's lives. But it's certainly, I have to be grateful for the choices that I made then because it means I would not be who I am today were it not for those choices and, and the experiences, the consequences that came as a result. So... I think perhaps more than anything else, gratitude for me is about living in the solution, uh, being conscious of, of where I am today, um, and not spending a whole lot of time worrying or planning about where I'm going to be tomorrow, but really paying attention to where I am today. Mm. Um, like Jackie and, and like most of us, I suspect, you know, I, I've ended up in a career that's starkly different from, from where I was uh, 15 20 years ago um and i i don't work at all today i'm extremely busy every day but i don't work at all because i love every minute of what i do i definitely could not say that 20 years ago you know i, I really could not um but i work with people today in in a way like jackie that that is unique and allows me to to learn from and really contribute to other people's lives on a micro scale where i get to see the smiles I get to see uh, the benefits like, like Jeff, Jeffrey does in, in his work. Um, man, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, so, so the idea of, of gratitude for me ultimately is about the absence of fear and the presence of faith. Um, it's a great topic. Thanks, thanks for letting me chime in, Jeff. I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Joshua. Thanks for being such a great partner and friend. Um, you know, it's no, no secret on this call how often we speak and uh, your source of uh, guidance and inspiration. So thank you. Thank you. You, all, well. you, you, you all are, but um, I just felt like I needed to put that out there. Um, Ronald, I know you have a tech person next to you who's going <laughs> to... <laughs> Ron from Connecticut. Uh, I was a lawyer. I practice for about 40 years before I uh, pled guilty to uh, two counts of uh, larceny. I was sentenced to 10 years, suspended after five. I served 22 months in Connecticut prisons, in seven prisons over the 22 months. Um, in a way, I remember... I have gratitude for prison because it was such a horrible place. I, I'm not wishing that I would have gone to Maine uh, and enjoyed it, but in Connecticut, it's truly horrible. But my gratitude probably, oh, my family has always been, I'm grateful to them because they, I, my wife and my three daughters, because they were always behind me. Always worth it. Uh, in serving the 22 months, I was able also 
when I got out, I have made restitution for basically all of it, except maybe 3%. And I don't know if I'll, I'll do that because I'm now 82 years old. But uh, uh, my daughter Shadra, who's next to me, uh, many years ago called the, uh, there was a group in Connecticut called Lawyers Concerned for Lawyers. It was an informal group. It never became formal until about well, three years after I joined it. They sought from the Connecticut Bar Association and others uh, money to hire uh, a director. But this started out probably 40 years ago or more. A group of lawyers, it started out just a couple of lawyers that would meet because they had a drinking problem and they would get together. And this just grew to like there were like 25 or 30 lawyers and getting so bad it would mean one night a week and everybody actually would help each other. And that's what impresses me about this group is everybody's willing to listen and to help. So... I was grateful for that, and I'm grateful to be a new member of this group, because when you get out, when you're an ex-con, people sort of want to avoid you, and not very many want to help you, and that's probably one of the problems uh, a society thinking so bad about ex-cons. But I'm truly grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the lawyers' concerns for lawyers, which is really grown now. They have a mental health division, uh, which is really grown. And uh, the state and the, the, and the bar association supports it financially every year. They've hired an executive director, and it's I don't know. I know they exist in other states, but uh, I don't know to the extent that they now exist in Connecticut. But uh, I'm, I was thankful for that very much, and I'm very thankful to be part of this group, because I think you understand and are, uh, everybody's problem and willing to help everybody. So I'm grateful to be here tonight. Thank, thank you, Ronald. Thank you. Well, it's an, it's an honor having you with us. And you're, you're our elder statesman, so uh, definitely, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, we, we, look, we, looked, we look to you for that. So thank you so much and, uh, and to your family and your beautiful family. Hey, Jeff, just real quick, um, mm -hmm. you know, just to Ron, thank you so much for sharing, um, especially the lawyers have a special, you know, we all have a, a special feeling when, when one of uh, somebody that's been in the bar um, goes through this. But what people may not know is um, you have a daughter um, who I served as a Just Leadership Fellow with in New York, and she's a rock star in, in her own right. Um, that's doing some amazing work in the reentry space. So thank you for sharing, and thank you for sharing your family with us. Yeah, amen. That that was uh, that was uh, Jeffrey Bromwitz from uh, Pennsylvania. Um, so we're we're gonna um, we're gonna wrap up with um, Terry, then Lance, then Stephen, um, and I think then we've hit everybody. Um, so Terry, um, it's good to see you tonight. You too. 
Wow, what a meeting. Um, my name is Terry, and I'm from uh, Michigan, which is bordering, at least in the Detroit area and up north, bordering Canada. So we are <laughs> a Canadian border state. Welcome to our Canadian fellows here. Um, so I'm turning 55 on Saturday, so I have a birthday coming up, and um, yay. <laughs> and um, so I've been in recovery, uh, as I like to say, for about 30 years since age 25 from what I refer to as addictive compulsive stealing, um, which is kind of a, an interesting way of looking at it. Um, so um, long story short is uh, from about age 15 to 25, I got into shoplifting behavior, nickel and diming, but I didn't realize I was actually kind of using it like a drug to make myself feel better. It was an indirect cry for help. I came from a divorced family, a father alcoholic, took over as the man of the house and, and really kind of became the hero, stuffed all my feelings, and um, but had a lot of... Um, a lot of hurt and anger and a lot of feelings that I, I wasn't expressing and they were coming out through taking things, you know, little things, but still. And I was living a double life like a lot of people had shared here. Um, and when I finally hit a bottom about 10 years later, um, I'd been arrested once for shoplifting and fired from a couple part-time jobs for some relatively low-level employee theft, but stealing nonetheless. Um, I also got to a point where my bottom was feeling suicidal um, about being in, I was in law school in Detroit in 1990 at age 25, and uh, um, I felt like a total hypocrite, and nothing was going well in my life, and I saw really no future. But fortunately, it scared the bejesus out of me as I was feeling suicidal, and I kind of came clean with my mom, and it was so hard to tell her that I'd been living this double life and I was so worried that I'd let her down and but she was actually terrific so one of the things I'm grateful for is my mom who didn't yell at me she was shocked as all hell her jaw dropped open when I told her you know I've been having this problem with shoplifting and employee theft for about 10 years but she said you know I love you um, let's get you into some counseling immediately and I, I was in counseling I learned a lot about what was going on with me uh, but it didn't necessarily uh, reduce greatly uh, the amount of stealing I was doing, and I proceeded to get arrested again, um, you know, right in the middle of my three years of law school, and uh, my dad had had a stroke. He was an attorney, and, and you know, he was kind of a mess, and I was always trying to help the family, and so, but um, I hung in there in the therapy, and then it wasn't until like about toward the end of nine months of therapy where... I basically was fired by my therapist. He says, I think I can take you as far as you can go. You're a smart kid. You're a good kid. But whatever's going on with this stealing, I mean, I'm glad you're honest with me about your quote unquote, you know, slips. But, and then he really literally just said, like, it's kind of like you're addicted to this. And I had this light bulb moment where, you know, I never thought of stealing as addictive. I'd heard the term kleptomania, but from what I researched, that was pretty rare condition and it didn't quite fit me. Um, and yet I didn't think of myself as a plain thief because and people can define it differently, but I felt I was essentially honest. And if you dropped a wallet or a purse in front of me, I'd give it back to you. I always felt conflicted about my stealing and yet I felt driven to do it at times. And, you know, um, but I'm really grateful because, um, I was able to finish law school. I was able to pass the bar on the first time. And believe me, I didn't do very well in law school and I didn't really study 
through the uh, Kaplan. So someone was looking out for me. I'm, I'm not a, I wasn't a very spiritual person, but just passing the bar. And then the following day, you know, when I got the notice that I'd pass, the next day I get the notice to, that I'm coming in for an interview with the State Bar Character and Fitness Committee because I had to divulge my criminal history. Um, and I really, um, I mean, I knew that was coming, but I really thought I was going to be a dead duck, even though I was lukewarm about being an attorney at that point. I'd taken out loans and I, you know, I'm figuring, God, I got to pay back loans and I got to do something with my life. But um, another little guardian angel, I was law clerking for a reputable attorney who was my next door neighbor growing up in the city of Detroit. And when I told him I got this letter from the, the character and fitness committee, he came to a few hearings, really went to bat for me. I did get a letter or two from a couple therapists and saying, you know, he's not like, you know, sociological sociopath, you know, but, but he's been mixed up and he was, now he's a little bit better and he's going to take it real easy. So I was approved to get my law license in 92. So I was about 27 and I was very grateful for that. And um, I, I, I figured out through attending some other support groups that I probably needed to start my own group for people who had problems with stealing. <laughs> and uh, I started that in late 92. And it was very below the radar because I'm a newly practicing attorney. And I kind of, you know, the anonymity thing anyway. But one thing led to another. And um, I, I created a website. And I started to talk to the different courts about referring people to our group. And I ended up showing up for this meeting on a Wednesday night for about 13, 14 consecutive Wednesdays without one person coming. And I almost gave up the project completely, but I called back the court that I had actually been sentenced at, you know, a, a couple years before. And I asked the probation officer, I said, did you get a letter in the mail? Because I mailed out all these flyers, but no name, no phone number for people to follow up. And she said, yeah, we got that a couple months ago. We thought it was a hoax. We'd never heard of such a group for people who have a problem with stealing. So I'm like, oh, God. And I was just about to hang up the phone and give up or whatever. And she said, but wait a minute. You might want to call this local therapist who came into our uh, court about a year ago and talked about the different kinds of stealing that people can do and, and who might be more appropriate for therapy or who might have to get the book thrown at it. And so I took the number. I called the guy up, met with him the following day, and he was very interested in what I was doing and he ended up becoming my therapist for two years. So all these little things, grateful for that. He introduced me to uh, men's support groups. My dad ended up dying about a half a year after I got into therapy, and he was a really great um, support for that. And I started getting well with men. And many of these guys I've met over the last 20 years have become some of my best friends. So all these little things. like So the, the, the larger blessing is, uh, and now for a living, what I've been doing for the last 16 years, I, I went back and got my master's in social work. So I work in the addiction field, but I primarily work, work with people who steal and also a few other disorders. But I would never, I didn't have a master plan, but I just kept trying to be well, work my recovery, stay open. And a lot of these amazing, um, like miracles and gifts have happened where um, the proverbial lemons to lemonade. And uh, I know if, uh, other people talked about helping other broken people or, but it's really become a calling uh, to, to, to try to offer hope to people who, feel the stigma of it or, you know, um, and it's been very gratifying and I've had adventures traveling, talking at conferences and being on TV on different programs and writing books. And it's been very exciting. Um, 
And I'm still pretty jazzed about all of it after like, you know, doing this for, you know, 20, 30 years. So I'm turning 55. I think I got at least 10 more years of juice in me, but who knows, maybe more. But this group is phenomenal. Uh, I've only been involved with it two months, uh, although I've known about it for about two years. And tonight was just fantastic in terms of getting to know people and just feeling not not alone because there aren't a lot of people who've, you know, like, you know, really been through a lot and are willing to talk about it because I think the tendency is like, that was just a bad chapter of my life and I'm going to try to like forget about it. What a therapy or a support group, you know, who wants to do that? This was just one bad mistake or a thousand bad mistakes, but now it's, you know, and I just appreciate people who've, you know, gone through what you've gone through and, and are so open and have learned from others. And um, so I really feel honored to be a part of this group. Very grateful. And I'm sitting here in my modest Metro Detroit condo where my wife and I have been for 20 years. And I've got my 16-year-old blind dog here on the couch who is like the love and joy of my life. And so, you know, just the simple things. Um, so thank you, everybody, for being here. And thank you for accepting me and for, um, for, for bearing your souls. Thank you, Terry. That's beautiful. Yeah. All right, Lance and then Steve. Lance. Sure. Uh, I'm Lance. I'm from uh, Pennsylvania, Philadelphia area. Um, I feel like the biggest dope on this call because apparently I'm the only one that didn't have any economic benefit from my stupidity. Um, you know, it's uh, I was caught up in an EPA violation. Um, yeah, there was nothing to be earned or gained. Fortunately, you know, knock wood, it was uh, administrative and not, uh, uh, you, know, uh, st- you know, nothing ever hit the ground. Fortunately, uh, it was, um, uh, you know, amongst the, the dumber decisions that I, or processes that I ever got involved in in my life. Um, and uh, I certainly am not proud of it by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I guess unlike a lot of you, I still struggle with my, uh, uh, you know, ability to be grateful. Um, I uh, went in and did my year at the uh, federal prison camp in Cumberland and uh, thought I had uh, figured a lot out um, and had gotten uh, all the right things into my head and gotten my, myself into the right place. And um, then getting out a year and a half ago has proven to be a, a far more significant challenge than I expected. Um, I really thought that I'd be able to move on and, and get back into some semblance of what I perceived as, you know, my path in life. And, uh, uh, it has just not gone anywhere near that. And I still struggle. I struggle a lot and, uh, have you know, good days and have bad days and try and be grateful for the fact that, uh, things like, you know, throughout COVID I've managed to, you know, hold a job and a paycheck. Um, and, uh, you know, unlike a lot of people I know, and, and I have a, you know, a great roof over my head, but I lost, um, uh, one of my three kids, as a result of this thing, has effectively you know, uh, walked away from me. Uh, you know, most about a you know, third of my friends prior to all this have sort of disowned me, um, and uh, it's been a it's been a challenge. Uh, I won't lie; it's uh, it has not been anything near what I expected it. My greatest fear was going to prison. Quite frankly, looking back on it, that year I spent in prison was probably the most peaceful and focused and um, valuable year of, of my adult life. Um, I wish in some respects I could have sustained the, the, 
personal momentum that I thought that I had built while I was there. Hmm. Um, and I did for a little while, but it's, uh, it becomes more exponent, you know, exponentially more and more difficult, uh, each and every day. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful for the, the journaling that I did and some of the other things that I did to memorialize, you know, what the, the place my head was at at the time. Um, and my ability to be able to go back and, and touch base with those things and reread those things and, and the letters and some of that other stuff to try and, uh, you know, keep myself on a, uh, a positive forward momentum track. Uh, and, uh, hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll look back a year and a half from now and it'll be, uh, uh, you know, less challenging and less difficult and, and, uh, you know, I'll be able to say, all right, well, it wasn't, uh, as bad as, as you thought it was at the time. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that for which I'm grateful now and, and, you know, that, that I have that time and, you know, I have my health and, and, uh, you know, each day is an opportunity to try and, uh, take a, a step forward, whether that's a, a big step or a small step or, or, or an infinitesimally small step, but you just hope that it's not a step backward. So that's my story. Thank you, Lance. Um, we've had over, um, as of, um, our last, um, support group meeting we've now had, now had 200 people who have come on to the call um some of you know a lot of them because you've been um around uh most of that time some some new um but um I, we got an opportunity at our 200th meeting uh in april, on april 13th we had our 200th meeting and we got an opportunity to have a lot of people on that call and uh, I also um, looked back at the notes from those meetings and just got to see names of people that, you know, they just come and they go and some stay in touch and some don't and just praying everybody's doing well. And um, so if you happen to watch this afterwards, please get in touch with us. And you're always welcome back on this call. We meet every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, we also have now spiritual urgent care um, at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, um, which you can find on our website, prisoners.org, and uh, the Zoom link is there. So um, that's just open hours, and um, people come on it and talk about whatever they want or uh, just need some comfort, and um, you can reach out to any of us. We all have each other's phone numbers and email addresses and Sometimes people don't want to do that quite yet when they first come on, but it turns out that uh, everyone gets in the spirit. So um, I've saved uh, Steve for last for a couple of reasons. The first is that um, I have a, um, uh, an intimate rela uh, relationship with the uh, hedge fund world, um, have for a long time. Also with SBA loans, by the way, I was uh, I went to prison for an SBA loan. So all of a sudden, SBA loans are back in the news. So if anybody wants to talk about that, please uh, give me a call. But um, so we opened this call up tonight, this podcast um, support group to anybody who wanted to join. And I can't believe I'm so grateful that 16 people have actually come on and shared their stories. And um, Stephen's story is very, very powerful. And uh, so I wanted to end, um, end with him. And then all, afterwards, what you can all do is, um, after Stephen's done, you can all take yourself off mute and we'll say our goodbyes and make it more like a usual raucous night that we spend with one another. Uh, everyone's very well behaved tonight. I think that's lovely.
<laughs> so, uh, Stephen, I'm going to give it to you. Well, thank you, Jeff. Um, and thank you, everybody. Your stories all touched me, and I recognize my own you know, ups and downs in, in all of them. Um, my story, as briefly as I can tell it, is I'm 47. Um, I was, you know, always a good student, cum laude in, in high school, went to Duke University, uh, in, got into investment banking, finished first in my class of like 30 people, did work at Chase Manhattan, uh, chose high yield corporate finance, did that for two years in New York, I got promoted to associate two years in London, helped to found the European high yield group for Chase. Uh, decided I wanted to get my MBA. I went back to the University of Virginia at Darden. Two great years, and then got into the hedge fund world. Um, I worked as an analyst for four years at what became a billion-dollar fund in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then after a year co-managing about a $300 million small-cap fund, I started my own fund with high hopes. And uh, I had just gotten married and first kid. Um, had a couple great years out of the box and basically doubled investor money and then came into 2008. In 2008, uh, I was introduced to some guys that effectively defrauded me. Um, uh, and, you know, I remember in December of 2008 is when Bernie Madoff's fraud came across my Bloomberg screen. And I remember shaking my head like how that F, could you ever do that? How could somebody do that? And I'll tell you, not more than like two months later, I was essentially running my own Ponzi scheme. I didn't, um, I already knew I was trying to get the money back a little bit, but I didn't really know what was going on. And there was a moment when I was told um, that the money was gone. And after that call, I effectively fell over and ran out and got alcohol and cigarettes and got drunk and the next morning i was in my office and the first time i lied was a call from a client my my employee was with me my analyst and i got a call and they're like hey steve how, how's the month going and it was like going fine and that was a lie and i remember calling the guys to try to figure out i'm like we have got to freaking figure this out uh, but that was the beginning, and I remember Craig in your at the beginning of the call talking about this hollowness you feel and all the very awful the lies, the decisions, many of them. And for me, it went for years. When you tell a small lie and you lie to yourself, I'm going to get this money back. I'm just you know I'm doing this for my investors. I but there's this sinking part of you that's that's dying there. It's that. That, in, that internal voice, your spirit is yelling for you to kind of get back on course. And I ignored it for a long time. And frankly, prison came in time, but those, uh, those years were the worst uh, of lying to friends, um, lifelong friends in my fund that had bet on me across my whole life, you know, in high school, college. <laughs> at Chase, at my business school, I had investors from all these people that believed in me, bet on me, and I had money, my own money in there, um, and I just did the wrong thing when it really mattered. And so that was horrible, I went through um, lots of health issues, trying to hold that mess together, and eventually, the you know, I confessed, and when the money basically ran out, and the FBI came to my door in 2012, and Shortly after that happened, 
and I met with my lawyer on a Sunday in Charlotte and he basically said, you're looking at seven years. You know, I started crying and he said that what you need to do is plead guilty and, 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 and cooperate um, and tell the truth. And I went home and I, and I decided that was what I needed to do was to tell the complete truth. And, and there was this unburdening as that started to happen. And I remember the next day I basically was under my table where I had traded. I was in my office, home office crying my eyes out. And my father had been saying to me, Steve, give it away, give it to God, give it. You can't, you know, unburden yourself, give it to him. And I didn't even know what that meant. You know, God, spiritual things for me at that point, I hadn't been, it was too, too much. I had 40 investors. I'd been, you know, it was too much, but that moment I did, I gave it away as best I could. It was about the most honest prayer I could, uh, I've probably ever given still because it was so pure and from the heart. And I'll tell you that it did. I was, you know, I was lightened, physically lightened from that moment and things began to change for me. Um, it happened, you know, over the course of several months, I had two and a half months, years before I finally went to prison. And during that time, my phone went quiet. Nobody's called me anymore. Uh, you know, I'm sure we all know that feeling and, and the uncertainty was as big as it had ever been because I didn't know how, how long, you know, I was, I had lost my house. My wife was, I might, I've lost and everything. So I started reading, I started meditating, I shaved my head. Um, I learned Reiki, I started writing every day. I went down this whole, I quit smoking, and I started going down this path of uh, trying to understand self-help and spirituality. I was inspired to start a website called spiritbath.com with a friend where we put out these viral kind of good vibe videos and um, I, I've resuscitated that and that continues today after prison but you know there was also you, a lot of you guys talk about service and one of the pure things that happened to me which has changed the course of my life and, and indicates to me that things do happen for a reason is I got a um, I got an alumni magazine from Darden where I got my MBA I, I think it was in January of 2013 and on the cover of it was a guy named Greg Fairchild who was a, a professor at at Darden, and he was talking about his prison entrepreneurship program, which basically is taking students from Darden, going into state prisons in Virginia, and teaching entrepreneurship to lower recidivism. And it struck me that I need to speak to this person. I'm going to prison. I'm an entrepreneur. I went to Darden. You know, God's telling me. Somebody's telling me. Call him. I did. And after a few months of chasing him down, he called me back, and we had an hour-long talk. And basically said, do you write? And I said, you know, I have been writing every day, actually. And yes, I write. And so can you write cases? And I'm like, sure. So he hired me to write two business, two cases. He liked those. He hired me to write 20 more. All of those continue to be taught in the Virginia State prison, prison system. Mm. And after that happened, he, he now runs what's called resilience um, resilience education with his wife, Tierney Fairchild, which is now 10 years old. I was just on the call with a call with him today. 20% of Darden's students have volunteered to go teach at prisons. It's, wow. it's, it's an amazing thing he's done. Um, and I'm still attached to that. Um, but he then 
from that little call of just offering to help, that has now become a, a career essentially for me. He reintroduced me to the faculty. This is before going to prison. I'm this hedge fund Ponzi scheme person, um, and which took bravery. And I was put in touch with the head of case writing for the whole school, who I started writing cases for. I had about a year before I went to prison. She liked my work. I improved. And then I went to prison for four years. And I wrote cases all four years by hand at Cumberland, where Lance was, and also at MDC Brooklyn in, in New York. Um, and prison was four years of, for me, like an education like college. Uh, like many of the people on this call, I got a ton from it. I, I, was, I read hundreds of book, the in, books, the entire Bible, um, many spiritual books. We started a, a men's group kind of like this group in there um, where we tw twice a week we met. Um, and so that can be done if, if there are people that are worried about going to prison and, and looking for support. There will be either a support group or you can start your own. People are open. I think one of the great gifts of prison is people are so vulnerable and seeking and, you know, conversations go deep and they're beautiful. Like, they, you know, I, I've now being out, I'm like Lance. I have to go back to my journals and remind myself of kind of my path and the purity of things sometimes because you can get caught up in the muck of the world. But, you know, I'm grateful. We're on gratitude. And I'll, and I'll end with this. I'm, I'm grateful every day. I think one of the things um, that has helped my mindset is when I wake up in a bad mood, I have to remember that I don't have to do something. I get to do something. Mm. And it's just that little mental shift is really helpful for me. Um, anytime I'm griping, I'm like, oh, I've got to go do this. No, I, I, I'm, I'm able to. I get to. And that's so true. And I'm, and I'm thankful more than ever for all the little things having made it through prison. I'm super thankful for this group. So thank you. Thank you, Steve. And um, thank you, everybody. Um, we got 16 people sharing tonight. That was a beautiful thing. So please take yourselves off mute. And let's say our goodbyes and, um, and say anything you want. Thanks, Great guys. session. Thanks, Thank you, guys. Everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. It was a beautiful night. And, um, and uh, we'll see you all next Monday night. All right, Jeff. See you. Thank Thanks, you. Everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us on White Collar Week, sponsored by Progressive Prison Ministries. You can learn more about us on our website, prisonist.org. That's prisonist, like feminist. And please remember to rate, review, and share this podcast so that families suffering in silence can find us if they need us. See you next time.